The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome back to another episode of The Shaken and Stirred Show. I'm Nigel Barker in New York, and I'm here with my co-host, Tom Astor, who looks like you're back home, old boy. I am back home, yeah. I've been, I went on an extremely exotic uh, away break for the weekend to a place called Cardiff. Oh, Cardiff, you went to Cardiff. And that's right, you sent me a video of people cycling around naked. They cycle around naked, and on a, on the night of Saturday night out, most population, most of the female population under the age of about twenty three, appear to be naked from a distance until you get close up, and then you realise that they've got a very small amount of clothing on. Um, no wonder, no wonder you were there in, in Cardiff, Wales. There weren't also, actually, thinking about it, there were absolutely no men at all, really. I mean, literally, I think there were probably... So, anyway, anyone thinking... If anyone, any men out there are lonely and looking for a date, I suggest Cardiff's a really great place to go. But judging by the looks of things, the odds were good, but the goods were odd. There we go. You've done such a great expression. I'm glad you got segued that in. You know me. I like a good segue. And on that note, old boy, what are you drinking? I well, I've had an Italian friend of mine staying, uh, came for dinner this evening. As you know, we're we're got a big time difference here. So I do these things just before I'm about to go to bed. So I've already had my day, have my lunch, have my dinner. And she, I was talking about cocktails with her, and obviously you've seen. I was sending you videos of the cocktails I was drinking in Cardiff, which were phenomenal. And I've got to say. It did. It, Cardiff does have some amazing cocktail bars where they really take it seriously, including one called the Alchemist. I've sent you the images of these incredible sort of. And if anybody wondering, we posted them on at Shaken and Stirred on Instagram. You can check out these crazy cocktails, frothing, yeah, flowing, bubbling cocktails. A lot of show, a lot of showboating going on. Anyway, so I was talking to my Italian friend about cocktails, Italy, and what they drink, and and she she said, look. The thing in Italy at the moment that, that people have just that people seem to be doing is keeping it really simple. And I said, "What do you mean?" And I'm not. This is just my way of like going. Well, you know, I don't want to get all the, but it is kind of. But at the same time, because you do all that stuff with the, you know, you like your measures and you know, educating people about various cocktails. But I like keeping it simple. Now she said, <laughs> you know. Vodka tonic, have a vodka tonic, have a vodka soda. Herbs. In Italy, we're all using herbs. We chuck up, we chuck a bit of thyme and we chuck a bit of rosemary into a vodka tonic. We chuck a bit of fruit in with a bit of rosemary, a bit of thyme. The flavors are amazing. You get the so anyway, so I got her recipe this evening, which has got thyme, rosemary, and a bit of fruit in it. I'm not sure how quite how the fruit's gonna work with the thyme and rosemary, because I'm using raspberries, but basically. I'm using, also, I'm using a skinny tonic water because I've been in Cardiff all weekend eating too much and drinking too much. So I'm trying, I'm on a bit of a health kick. So I'm using, it's a vodka, it's a skinny tonic vodka with thyme rosemary, as per my, my friend's thing, and with a bit of, with a raspberry in it. Oh my God. Everybody out there, I apologise in advance for the most long-winded, long-winded, I, I mean, that took forever. 
for you to explain that you're having a bloody vodka tonic and you put some herbs in it. You sort of spill some herbs yes, in it by accident. Yeah, but it's important to know that in Italy, apparently, this is the definition of a cocktail. Like the Italians know. Yeah, I mean, they did invent the Negroni, didn't they, I suppose? They but... did invent the Negroni, true, but it's it... actually a take of the Americano, which sounds Italian as well. But anyway, you're right. Well, you know, I went very classic too. Can we have your long-winded explanation of the fabulous creation that you've done, which probably for once isn't anything like mine? No, well, actually, nothing like yours. And um, very simple, actually. I decided to go with the classic Manhattan, made in the 1880s in Club Manhattan. And, uh, you know, if you're a traditionalist, you like uh, rye whiskey, which is what I used, bullet rye. Uh, but you can use bourbon, you know, I think, you know, if you, if you just want to go off the edge with it. Um, and it's mixed with uh, vermouth, sweet vermouth. So I used ransom, sweet vermouth. Everyone knows ransom. We love ransom here at the Shaken and Stirred Show. And it's got some Angostura bitters, a couple of dashes, four dashes. And it's got a couple of dashes of uh, orange bitters. And then you put a, a brandy cherry in it. And that's all it is. But it's a classic and it's timeless and it is delicious it's to this not, day. And I think it... It's classique. Classique is what it is. Classique, it's my derelict. friend. Derelict. De like, like derelict, exactly. So here's to a, a classique and derelict uh, and, podcast. And today. another classic. Yeah, another classic, which is you, by the way. You're We've the, both uh, got our yeah, bits yeah, of fruit. Cheers, mate. Yeah, mm. cheers. So on to a little bit of booze news, a little bit of fast action booze news on the Shaken and Stirred show. And this time round, we're talking serious stuff, people. We're talking heists. Now, whenever you have a drink, certainly in a place like Italy, like Tom's just been talking about, did you ever think that the alcohol you're drinking could be counterfeit? Dun, dun, dun. It could be. It turns out that Interpol that's right, the international investigation um, organization with countries from all over the world and Europol, which is the Euro version of it because for some reason you need both. Um, they have recently cracked down and busted a massive ring um, and have seized 1.7 million, million liters of counterfeit wine, vodka and whiskey. Um, it's quite extraordinary. In fact, they that this widespread investigation, they searched over 2,409 locations. They issued 663 arrest warrants and they disrupted 42 criminal networks. I mean, this is this is James Bond stuff, people. This is, you know, of an epic scale. Uh, the raids resulted in a seizure of more than 15,000 tons of illicit products worth over $60 million. Uh, it's quite something. The haul included 47,660 litres of whiskey. Okay. Uh, and... Uh, you know, talking about the Italians, the Italian Carbonari Corps made five house arrests in connection with wine counterfeiting specifically. So next time you have a drink when you're abroad, you may want to check the label and just make sure that it's real because actually some of these alcohols were coloured. They're not actual whiskies or vodkas. They're made illicitly. They're not just stolen. They're actually fake alcohol. So it's, it's a big business out there. 
And also, you want to check that the police are real and don't go around calling the spaghetti carbonari, as I've just called it. I think they're called the carabinieri, but you know what? Carbonara! Here comes the carbonara, the shiny shoes. My <laughs> guest this week is the founder and CEO of Sackcloth and Ashes, a mission-driven company that gives a blanket to a homeless shelter for each one purchased. In June 2018, he launched Blanket the United States, a campaign with the goal of donating one million blankets to homeless shelters by 2024. A lofty goal, to say the least. He now travels the United States campaigning to bring awareness and resources to organizations that are creating solutions for homelessness and speaking at events on the topics of entrepreneurship and societal solutions. Please welcome Bob Dalton. Bob, how are you, mate? I'm doing good, man, now that I'm on talking with you guys. Fantastic. We appreciate it. What are you drinking? I'm drinking a, I chose a uh, Mai Tai, a nice refreshing beverage in the afternoon here on the Pacific Northwest. So that's where you are. We've got the Pacific Northwest, we've got New York, and we've got Oxford, England, all on one podcast right here. But you don't look like a Mai Tai kind of guy to me for some odd reason. It's not the drink I would have thought you would have pulled up. What's the story behind your Mai Tai? The story behind the Mai Tai is, A, I'm drinking relatively early in the day. And uh, I, uh, some of my best moments and my best times are with Mai Tais, man. I, um, I selected a Mai Tai because... Um, one moment in particular, I was out in Hawaii drinking Mai Tais, drank, drank a, a three or four of them. And uh, the later in the evening that it got, my wife and I ended up uh, jumping in the ocean with our clothes on and just it's some of the best memorable times of my life, man. The most romantic, the most beautiful. And uh, I feel like instead of having some old fashioned or something that I normally would pick, I'm like, I'm just trying to have a good time on this podcast. There you go. Watch out, oh, Tom. Yeah. He's going to have a couple of Mai Tais, and before you know it, he's going to be wrapping himself up in a blanket with nothing else on. That, do you know something? <laughs> that was one of the best. That was one of the. That was one of the best, most honest, and straightforward, straight shooting explanations for why you're drinking what you're drinking. I mean, I've never, that I've ever heard. I, you know, just before you came on, Nigel was asking me what I was drinking. And I did an incredibly convoluted thing about a very simple drink. And he was just like, geez, keep it simple. That was that was absolutely brilliant. That's great. I'm mean, such a that's that, that's kind of most, I think learn, that's the most information we've ever had. Huh? I would please well, I, learn, I kinda... listen and learn from Bob. Bob knows what he's talking about. He's he's developed an entire company out of blankets, for God's sakes, which we're going to get into. And, <laughs> and he knows how to talk about a cocktail. Meanwhile, you lofty explanation for why you're drinking a vodka tonic or something, which is just embarrassing, quite frankly. But we're going to get on to much more important bits of information. Bob, so impressed to have you on here. I've heard so much about you from, from so many great people. You know, the funny thing is, is that I had already received one of your blankets before I'd even heard of you. I had been given one. A friend of mine had given us a blanket and I hadn't fully put it all together. I remember reading it, receiving it and, and thinking to my, and telling my wife how amazing it is. And when I, I recently just told my wife that you were coming on the show and she said to me, oh my God, you have to tell him, I love his blankets. They are, and, and right now, actually, my father-in-law is wrapped up in one of your blankets downstairs with my kids, my father-in-law. So 
they are a part of our house. You've made a really amazing quality product that it isn't this, you know, sometimes you hear about people doing things for an organization, for a charity, for you know, just to help, help the world type of thing, but it's not necessarily the most premium product, but you've built something and created something which is desirable in its own right. So just wanted to say congratulations on just doing it, doing it right. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And the goal from the very beginning was to create a really high quality premium product that happened to help the homeless community and not the other way around. You know, there's a lot of missional brands that start with, you know, we're going to help the homeless pro problem. And so we're going to create a, a product around that. Um, and we wanted to make sure that we were creating a premium brand first and foremost, um, and make sure that we stay as high quality of the product as we possibly can and happen to also provide blankets to the homeless. And I think that um, that's given us a, a larger platform than we would have had if we would have been um, mission first and product second. So let's just dive straight into it why homelessness? I mean, what, why out of all the things, I mean, you know, I always tell people, you know, when I speak about various organizations, we've had so many people on the show who have a cause, but homelessness specifically is particularly sort of specific. What got you in there? Yeah, it definitely was on the bottom of my list as well of something that I would not want to have been involved in. You know, uh, something that's more interesting to me is helping with uh, people that are hungry or women who've gotten swept up in sex trafficking or, um, you know, there's other societal issues that I would have looked at and said, oh, that 100%, that's a worthy cause to um, advocate for and help. Homelessness was not on that list. And I was actually the guy that would drive by people on the street and whisper under my breath, go get a job. Mm. And I had zero compassion for people on the street. And I still struggle today with my own bias and, and judgments toward people out on the street, holding signs and begging for money and all that kind of stuff. So it's not something that I planned on getting to um, either. Um, and was very judgmental toward the issue. And it wasn't until my mom went through a series of events and found herself living on the streets that completely changed my paradigm. Um, my attitude and bias was, you should work a little harder. You should have made better choices with your life. My mom is the hardest working person that I know. She has two college degrees, managed restaurants most of her life and raised my sister and I by herself. So it flipped my entire paradigm of how I think people even end up on the streets. And it made me realize that there's something deeper to this problem than just laziness or not working hard enough. Thanks for sharing that. You know, it, it's interesting, but I, I, you know, I, many people have been through situations like really traumatic events in their, in their life, like a hurricane, for example, or some sort of, you know, weather-related disaster where you all of a sudden are displaced out of your home and you know and and you don't have insurance because you don't have flood insurance and things like that and this sort of thing happened to us and as a family with uh, when it hit new york when new york was hit by hurricane sandy and we, we had real devastation in new york for the first time in a very long time and if it weren't for a very good friend of mine giving us their apartment, you know, I, I was, you know, I, my apartment was not livable and there was nothing else to move into. So we were not necessarily homeless at that moment, but we had to go live at someone else's home. And I realized that I was really only a couple of degrees away from being homeless, actually. Um, you know, and, and so that was a, an eye opener. And just while we're on the subject of this, and I just thought it was interesting for people out there, my, our listeners to know, 
because you know people know me from working in the fashion industry from working in a very luxurious industry and um and, and having really access to sort of things that people think are very exclusive and elitist and all the rest of it but you know back in the day and i wrote about this in a book of mine called the beauty equation there was a time when i was in italy and i was my parents didn't want me to be a model and i was modeling this is late 80s early 90s and um i had a job in italy and i had showed up from england and i'd taken a flight i'd arrived in italy i went to the hotel and i it was really before i had a proper credit card i didn't have a cell phone this is before cell phones people that's how old i am and you know i i i went to the hotel and they didn't have a reservation that i was meant to be staying at they didn't have a reservation for me and if i was to rent a room that night it was going to cost a fortune and i ended up going to a park and sleeping the night on a park bench uh, and waking up the following day and going to the job and i didn't want to tell my parents because and have them bail me out because i was embarrassed and didn't want to for them to sort of because they didn't want me modeling in the first place and they and they were going to say i told you so so i wanted to stick it out and do it my own way and i was proud right and i just think that you know you, you when i i realized that i've slept on a park bench and woken up in the morning and for that night being homeless because i couldn't afford anything and i was a kid i was 18 years old and you see people out there and you judge them and you you know you 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 have to be very careful right so that's just wanted to put put my own spin my own personal tale of of some sort of understanding some sort of compassion to 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 to, to people's you know it's not everyone's story is different right yeah i mean people don't you know when you talk to the majority of people on the streets it's not something that they had in their life plans <laughs> you know um it's something that happened something traumatic or something that they went through or some sort of uh you know, I mean, there's so many, I always say homeless, homelessness is really not an issue. It's a result of a lot of different issues. It's a puddle that is the result of a stream of many different issues. And so when you're looking at homelessness, you know, there's a lot of pathways that result in what homelessness is, but it's usually the result of actual issues in society that are much deeper and um, could be linked all the way back to your childhood. Your mother, though, her particular story, she wasn't homeless for long, though, right? This was just a, a, a moment that happened. Or what's a sort of deeper, a little, little bit deeper, as, as much as you're happy going? Obviously, you don't want to be, don't want to pry in this situation, but you brought her up. And I know she's sort yeah. of a, a bit of a, a, you know, sort of, a, you talk about her in your various interviews. I've heard that you talk about her in general, but what, what's the, what was the, the sort of the, the crux of it? Yeah, she had lost a couple family members. She lost her mother and her brother and uh, it sent her on a downhill spiral. And, and it, you know, with a, a single mother and, and, um, and at the time, my sister and I were out of the house. So we were old enough to where she was kind of, you know, on her own. But she had lost, you know, some of the most pivotal people in her life that she would lean on in times of needing support and help. And uh, when your support system gets stripped away from you like that, and especially suddenly, and especially with people that are deeply connected to who you are, um, you get sent into almost an identity crisis. And, uh, and she started to uh, get involved in a lot of different things that she ended up, you know, shouldn't have, but she did. And uh, she got kind of swept up in a vicious cycle of it all. And she called me up one day and she said, Bob, it's time. I need to do it. I need to move across the United States and start my life over. And at the time she was living in Oregon, 
and she had an aunt out in Florida. So she sold everything she had left on Craigslist, uh, booked a one-way plane ticket from Oregon to Florida with a suitcase and two pairs of interview clothes, flies over to Florida, thinks her aunt's going to take her in. Her aunt doesn't take her in, and she ends up sleeping on beaches and benches and going through all kinds of uh, withdrawals and, and symptoms of the past. And uh, it was just a really, really dark time because there's not really a ton that I could have done, you know, with the amount of, you know, A, the distance, but also just the complexities of what she was going through personally. And, um, and she ended up being on and off the streets for a little while and ended up hitchhiking and ending up in Ohio. And she got a, 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 a job at a Mexican food restaurant. Like I said, she's the hardest working person I know. And uh, from there, she dealt with issues for the next four years in and out of rehabs and in and out of hospitals. And finally, I moved her back to Oregon. Um, and she's still dealing with a lot of different problems. And I was uh, at a women's and children's program because uh, one of the things that I do as part of my job, which we'll, I'll share here in a little bit, is I go to different homeless shelters and programs around the United States learning about what's solutions are out there to help the homeless problem and I'm sharing at a women's shelter about why I'm there and why I do what I do and how my mom inspired it and they go where's your mom now and I said I just moved her back to Oregon they go can you get her into this women's program we have 38 out of 40 slots filled can you get her here and I was able to get her there she uh they accepted her on the spot and here we are 24 months later she's 100 percent clean and sober off of uh, drugs and alcohol. And she works full time for the actual rescue mission. And uh, she, yeah, she's healthier than I am. And were you involved? Were, so you were involved, were you already involved with her, with her with, when she was going through her in her plight? Were you already involved in, with it, with the homeless program? Or, or was it put synonymous with it? Was it sort of, did it happen as a result yeah. of, or? Yeah, no, she, her whole journey um, is what inspired everything I'm doing now. And, uh, and when I couldn't help her for a variety of reasons is what prompted me to call homeless shelters in my area and just say, Hey, what do you guys need? And they were like, we need blankets. And I was familiar with the one for one business model and came up with the idea that I'm going to start a blanket company. And for every blanket that I sell, I'm going to donate a blanket to a homeless shelter. Had and you because, ever made a blanket before, Bob? No, no, I, I'd never started a business before. I, there's, there's no business experience. There's no expert in fabric. I knew absolutely. I knew one thing, which is where to buy a sewing machine and a roll of fabric. And that was Joanne's fabric. That's so all how did I you knew. know how to use the sewing machine? I didn't. I tried to learn how to sew. I, I took sewing lessons and I realized I can't sew about two weeks in. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I mean, that's the funny, it's, it's, it's a funny story. It's funny as in unusual. It's such, a, no. such an extraordinary sort of set of events that set you up. And I'm sort of imagining there you are. You're like, what can I do to help? You call up the shelter. They're like, we need blankets. And you're like, sort of like, okay, let me go buy a bunch of blankets. You're like, you head to the sort of haberdashery store to, to, you know, to get a, a, a to bunch of blankets. material and, and a, a sewing machine and you're going to make them. I mean, to a lot of people out there, a lot of you know, the average guy would say, well, surely a blanket is a piece of material. 
right? It, it's well, it's just a square or something. You know what I mean? It's just a isn't that what a blanket is? But your blankets are real blankets, and they're woven, and so you know, you don't do that with a sewing machine. They don't weave a blanket. So what were you doing with the sewing machine that was making the blanket? And 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 what you know, what how did it go from that to to, to sackcloth and ashes? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I realized I couldn't sew. And so my next, you know, strategy was find somebody who can. And so I looked in the newspaper and I found a local seamstress who was doing uh, some sewing here locally. And I, her name's Tammy. I went to Tammy's house and Tammy said, oh, this is perfect. I'm already quilting blankets and I'm keeping them in my car to pass out to people on the street. And so I said, hired Tammy, you're the perfect hire. So I hired Tammy and Tammy started making blankets for me. And I just started, uh, I lived in Oregon at the time, and I just drove up and down the Oregon coast, walking into shops with boxes of blankets and saying, hey, here's why you need to buy these blankets over the blankets on your shelf, because I'm going to drive down to my local homeless shelter and I'm going to donate all the blankets in my trunk. And I got into about 20 shops. I named the brand Sackcloth and Ashes because Sackcloth and Ashes means mourning and repentance. And... Um, yeah, I just thought that was a good fit because every time you wrap yourself in a sackcloth and ashes blanket, it symbolizes mourning over the homeless population and repentance by contributing to a homeless shelter in your area. And so um, from that point on, my only business strategy was to post on Instagram once a day. That was my business plan. And in 2014 is when I launched the company. 2014 was really the bottom of the wave of where you know, social media was heading. And so I just started posting on Instagram once a day, just because I thought everybody's on it. That's kind of the next wave of television. And so uh, I started posting on Instagram and five months into it, November of 2014, I got an email from Instagram. They said, Bob, we love your story. We love what you're doing. We want to feature you on Instagram's Instagram account, which is the largest Instagram account in the world. They had 42 million followers at the time. And uh, I said, hey, how long do I have to prepare for this? And they said, we're posting about you tomorrow. And it was the day before Black Friday. And so that's what skyrocketed the company in the early stages. We went from a sewing machine at Joanne's Fabric to working with Tammy to getting featured on Instagram's Instagram to 42 million people. And that quickly forced me to find a manufacturer, which is where we make our fabric now, which is uh, Florence, Italy. Uh, we make all of our fabric now out of 100% recycled material. And that fabric now gets shipped from Italy to our production hub here in Oregon, which is actually where I'm at right now. This is our production warehouse down there. Amazing. And, uh, and this beautiful uh, refurbished facility here in Oregon. And we uh, cut, sew, label, poly bag, and do all of our own fulfillment. Incredible. What an amazing story. So it's seven years now you, you, you've celebrated. We're seven years in, man. And it's been, uh, it's been a crazy, crazy journey. I, I, I tell people all the time that it's, to me, it's hilarious. I never thought I'd, not, not, a, not only did I think I wouldn't own a blanket company, I didn't think I'd own a uh, a company in general and for it to last seven years and actually do you know what we're doing now is just it's hilarious to me it's it, it is i feel like i'm i'm not in on the biggest inside joke i i just feel like uh 
every day I just think it's fascinating to me. So you launched a campaign called Blanket the United States with the idea of donating a million blankets. Where are you in that number so far? Yeah, we surpassed about a quarter million um, at the end of this last year. And I, we're technically, we're right back on pace. Um, in the month of April, a couple months ago, we locked in three new national partners. Um, one of them is uh, KB Home. They're a, a home builder here in the United States. We partnered with them. And so for every home they build in the United States, they give a blanket as a gift for your new home. And because of that, we're donating over 10,000 blankets to homeless shelters because of our partnership with KB Home. Um, we partnered with Churchill Mortgage. Every mortgage that they do, they give a blanket as a gift. They bought 20,000 blankets. And uh, we partnered with REI. REI just bought 10,000 blankets and we're gonna, the blankets will be launched in every REI in the nation. And then we just signed a deal with uh, Disney and we uh, created a blanket collection for National Geographic, which will be launched on November 1st. And so the energy of the brand is starting to pick up. And I do believe we're, we are on pace at this point to blanket the United States by 2024. And then we'll go from there. Congratulations. Seriously, congratulations. That's just like, that's an awesome, it's an amazing story. That is, that's extraordinary. Like total just belief in what you're doing and, and getting other people to see what just, it's just, it's that is great. It's kind of philanthropy in, in another way, these, getting these deals on in a way that it's extraordinary. It's kind of, yeah, congratulations. How, well, much, how much work is done through, well, how many, how many blankets are sold through the conventional way of sort of a, a customer like myself potentially wanting to give one away as a, as a gift to a friend versus these sort of big corporate deals you're talking about? Yeah, we're trying to keep it at this point about, you know, 25 to 50% is still uh, D to C direct to consumer through our website, you know, and, and we're hoping that that stays pretty balanced. The only way that we're going to stay relevant as a company is we appeal to our individual audiences. You know, I think that we want to be pillared in the, I think we have a shot. And I say this uh, in the most humble way that I can. I think Sackcloth and Ashes has a shot to be a uh, pillared premium product and and uh, respected in the industry on like a Patagonia Nike type of level. I think Sackcloth and Ashes has a shot to be a household name, but still in the premium product category. And we're going to do that and accomplish that through not just strategic partnerships, but we're going to do that by premium high level content and good storytelling. And, um, you know, that's what we're working on now. And we have incredible partnerships coming up and, um, you know, the goal from this point on is figuring out who we should partner with, not, um, you know, if we're going to get partnerships. Is, is it difficult to, to, from here, where you are at the moment, is it difficult, the concept of like where you're going to go, like your stress, obviously you're making this up, right? I mean, you, you know, you're, you're largely, you've been largely making this up as you've gone along, right? So, and it's just like one thing after another, but, but the, the kind of the, the underlying, the underlying reason for you doing it has always remained. Have you got to a point now where your strategy is like, well, 
you know, you want to be out there with Patagonia and the Nikes, you want to be out there as a premium product, but your the kind of mission statement, I suppose they used to call it, right, is still your, 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 your kind of raison d'etre, your reason for doing it, it's very much still, is it, is it kind of getting more difficult to, 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 to keep the focus on your original message? Or? Yeah, that's such a beautiful question and, and it comes at a really interesting time. You know, we're seven years in and the whole story and the whole brand has been built around my personal story. And I think that the Sackcloth and Ashes brand now is uh, surpassing um, and so much bigger than my personal story. And I think that as we look at it right now, we're in a, literally I'm here in Oregon working with my team for the next three days, having these discussions, because historically, you know, it's been pretty simple. We donate a blanket to a local homeless shelter for each blanket purchased. And what we're trying to figure out is, um, you know, really coming back to the drawing board seven years in and making sure that our brand stays innovative and interesting. And, uh, and, and that could be the one for one blanket you know, model, I think that's an incredible sustainable model that has worked. Um, but I think we're also having discussions on, on, you know, what our mission is and how do we want to present that to the public in a way that keeps us relevant and in the game and true to ourselves. I think that's a really big uh, thing that matters to us. We want to stay true, true to ourselves as a brand. And I think um, to your point of the making things up, you know, it's, it's really true. I tell people when I get asked, uh, what's your advice to entrepreneurs that are wanting to start something new? I always uh, revert back to telling the story of my one of my favorite artists, Ralph Steadman, who his creative process is he never knows what he's going to create uh, when he goes into it. He just throws paint at a canvas. And after about four or five splats of paint, he takes a pencil and he starts to draw out what it is. And that's a big part of my journey. We have been throwing paint at a canvas and trusting the process that this thing is going to turn into something and that it's going to turn into what it's supposed to turn into. And our job is to help guide the, you know, whatever this is supposed to turn into and, and take a pencil to it and start to identify what that's becoming. And that's in the, that's the process that we're in right now. Are you looking at other products then, other things other than blankets then to sort of, I guess, to, I mean, it seems like a natural progression. Yeah, we're not. Um, I, I do think we're going to remain blankets as long as I'm in, in at the helm of this brand. I think blankets are a universal product. I think we have a shot to grow larger than Tom's shoes and larger than Warby Parker simply because we're a universal product. You know, I pitched on Shark Tank back in 2015 and they go, what's, what's different between you and these other one-for-one -one companies? And I said, I can't buy everybody in this room shoes and I can't buy everyone in this room glasses, but I can buy everybody in this room a blanket. And that's the difference between our product and other product companies. I think that Tom's biggest mistake and downfall, and I think they would tell you this as well, is they started to branch out into other products and start to really try to create a lifestyle brand around uh, they try to create a lifestyle brand and then create products around that. We are a product company. That's it. We are a blanket company and we're going to do blankets all the way up. And I do think we have an opportunity to not only expand our D to C market, our, our uh, wholesale market, but I think we have a tremendous opportunity in the corporate gifting uh, 
business where companies around the world right now are going, ah, what should we give our employees or our customers as gifts? And they're also saying, how can we make a difference? And sackcloth and ashes answers both of those questions. And I think that's a multi-billion dollar untapped industry um, that is up to this point, trinkets. You're already, also the lifestyle issue is, is the other way. You're, you're already creating a blanket for a life. Uh, you're, the reason you're doing it is you're, you're doing it to help a certain type of lifestyle. That, that homelessness I'm talking about. You know? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, blankets are a universal product all around. So like blankets can, uh, you know, every, we, we wrote on the whiteboard last night, you know, uh, blankets tell a story. And every single person in the world has some sort of a story around a blanket um, that, you know, it could be connected to your childhood or something that, you know, I don't know, everyone has really interesting stories about blankets. Blankets are such a personal, emotional uh, product. And I think that, um, you know, there's plenty of backpack companies and plenty of shoe brands and plenty of, you know, there's only a handful of blanket companies and I'm looking at the competition and I see a wide open field and I'm just going to stay in my, stay in our lane. Bob, how can we end homelessness? I mean, you know, obviously the blankets are great for obviously people, the homeless shelters need blankets. People need to stay warm, but you know, the, 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 is it realistic? Is there any, are we trying to get political here? Are we trying to lobby Congress for different rules and legislation in the homeless situation? Like what, what, is the, what is the key to, to solving this problem, you know, in the, in, the, in the big picture? Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought that up. Um, there is, there is I, I believe there's hope. And, and here's my strategy and my, my personal perspective and opinion on this. I'm launching a foundation um, this November called Love Your City. And it's completely separate from Sackcloth and Ashes. There'll be two different entities, um, two different you know, missions for the most part. But what Love Your City is going to do is um, it's going to be a website, loveyourcity.org. And you're going to be able to go to the website, type in your address, and we're going to show you all the grassroots organizations in your community and how you can get involved by donating money, volunteering, and advocating for these organizations in your local community. If we're going to solve large systemic problems, these massive problems that we're dealing with globally and in our nations, it's going to have to be done on a local level. That's the only hope that we have is by tackling these problems on a local level and highlighting solutions that are working. Journalism, as you guys know, 90% of our journalism is focused on the issues of society. That is creating more problems for us. Mm-hmm. Our activism and our giving is to large national institutional nonprofits. We need what I'm calling more socially sustainable models, which is keeping resources and people investing their time and energy in their local communities. And what is happening is as we invest resources into these larger institutional nonprofits, we are breaking social sustainable model 
And those resources are flowing out of our communities. And if you're a small or mid-sized community, those resources are not coming back. And when that model breaks, all the nonprofits in your community, all the solutions are scrambling for the you know, small handful of philanthropists and large donors, and they're scrambling for their money and they're competing because there's not enough to go around. But you, when you have a social sustainable model, there's plenty of to go around and, and everyone has an opportunity to be a contributor. So the way that we're gonna tackle not just homelessness, any systemic large problem that we're dealing with is going to be done on a local level by highlighting and supporting solutions and giving everyone an opportunity to do something. That's how we're going to change these problems. And I'm dedicating the rest of my life to that platform to make sure that the small amount of time that I still have left on this earth is going to be advocating for local and solutions. Sackcloth and Ashes was a detour for me. A bit of a, uh, you know, yeah, like I said, it's funny that I even own a product company. It's funny that I'm involved in business, but it's been a great resource. It's been a great network. It's been a great, you know, credibility for, for me and, and where I'm at in my life. Love Your City is what I believe is going to create real legitimate change. Sackcloth and Ashes is an incredible premium product company that happens to be providing blankets to the homeless. And there's a big difference. Is that, do you know something that's, that I totally get what, congratulations again. I mean, awesome. That's amazing. What, what you're doing. I, I, it's kind of mind blowing what you're doing, especially with your foundation and love your city. I'm in, in England. It's funny last Christmas. And again, I'll go, go off track, but last Christmas I was trying to, Get, I've got a 11-year-old kid who I was trying to do. So I'm trying to, trying to go and help, you know, sitting here at Christmas, all this stuff going on. I'm fortunate. I got warmth. I live in a house. You know, I've got everything I need. i got nothing, you know. But, and, you know, but I also want to give us a bit of time to go and help, go and volunteer. So it's, I found it incredibly difficult. to. I found it unbelievably difficult to actually find anywhere that would take me as a volunteer. All I wanted to do was just give up my time. I said, I've got days, I've got a week, you know, maybe I've got some time without my kids. I've got, I've got this time, I've got a car. I've got, what can I do? I can do anything you want. You know, I can come and help people who literally are in a position where they're just surviving. And it was incredibly difficult and I found almost impossible. And I ended up with a local volunteer link up service, which I'm a member of now. And the, the, the red tape was phenomenal. The, 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 you know, the registering your car, registering your insurance to drive people if you wanted it. It's a, just as a volunteer, I now get rung up maybe once a month by this organization. It's a very good organization. It helps people who can't, you know, who are elderly, who can't. And they ring me once a month and they say, you know, could, you're on our list of things. Can you do this? And I'm still sitting here now. And, and you know, I'd love to do more. I really would love to do more. And I literally, and I, be, I was thinking at Christmas, this is ridiculous. This is unbelievably ridiculous. I literally, all I want to do is help. And I know I can help, right? I literally know I can help, even if it's just talking to someone, right? But it's, I can't find any way of being able to do it. Um, and, then, and then I was getting crazy. Literally, I was getting so kind of crazed by that. And I'm still in the same position now. I'm, like, I'm still like sitting there going, I just simply don't know. I've got time, 
but I don't know how to, it, there is no logical way of doing it. Is, is that what, I mean, again, Love Your City, is that your foundation? Is that, are, you, are you talking about making this, this sort of stuff? Because it's happening here in England. I mean, it, it, yeah. I think there needs to be something to make this simpler. Yeah, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm obsessed and consumed with this particular project, not because I need something else on my plate, but because I believe this needs to exist. I come across people almost every day that say, I want to make a difference, but I don't know where to start. Uh, and I come across nonprofit and solutions almost every day that say, we desperately need awareness and support. You have two major, or uh, you have individuals that want to do something and organizations that need something to be done. And there's this massive dividing gap. Uh, we need something that is helping connect the dots and done in a non-cheesy way. Historically, anything done, um, not anything, but most things done in the nonprofit world is not great. Uh, it's the least innovative sector by far, no argument to that. And it needs a little bit of a, a new standard and a new accountability. Love Your City is going to raise the bar on what nonprofits should uh, ultimately look like and be held accountable to. The governments are, are the only ones that are holding nonprofits accountable. That's ridiculous. And we need a little bit of a new standard and a new vision casted here for being able to actually move the needle on some of these problems. And I do believe social sustainability is what's going to ultimately solve that problem, which is to your point, helping people get connected on a local level so that they can help meet the needs of their community. I define social sustainability as people taking responsibility for the needs in their community consistently long-term. That's what we need more of. And that's what I'm hoping to, you know, I'm hoping Love Your City and, and other platforms, you know what I mean? Hopefully somebody listening to this is going, I'm going to help start something as well. We need more social sustainable models that's connecting people to local solutions. If we do that, we have a shot. Yeah. Okay. What I was thinking is, is how does that trust, how do you get totally, totally understand what you're doing, totally understand the need for it. How does it, how does it, I mean, does it travel? You know, you say love your city. I'm sitting here in England thinking, well, love your town. I mean, you know, love your yeah. city, love your town, love your, you know, is it something that is? Is this something? I mean, I don't know. You, you, you know. I guess where you are at the moment, it's it's impossible to say. But it, you know, is this something that actually can can kind of can spread in, in a say? You yeah. know, the nice thing about my platform is that I'm not trying to start anything new in any city. That's a nice thing. I'm not trying to be the next social movement. Um, I'm trying to create social sustainability. There's a huge difference. A social sustainable platform, especially digitally, is we're launching in the top 100 cities in the United States um, right off the bat in November of 2021. And then we're going to rapidly expand this platform to cities around the world and be curating uh, some of the best solutions and organizations. What's going to also be different about our platform is that we're not just going to highlight organizations in the form of a, a really beautiful user experience database. The database is very secondary to what I'm launching. The primary 
thing that we're launching through loveyourcity.org is content, very high quality content in the form of podcast, where I'll be interviewing people and organizations doing grassroots work, video, where I'll be partnering with uh, different celebrities each month and highlighting nonprofits in their communities through documentary level five minute videos. Um, journalism, we'll be partnering with some of the best writers around the world to highlight solutions in their communities and uh, photography. And the content is what's going to drive this forward and help spread the word on these particular solutions. But whether you give through loveyourcity.org to local grassroots organizations or you want to give directly, it doesn't affect us at all. We're not going to make any money or we're not taking any cuts on any of the donations through our website. We are going to be fully funded on the back end, completely separate from any sort of donations flowing through our website. Yeah, we've had a one of our guests, uh, Hugh Evans. I'm not sure if you've if you've met him before, but he's the CEO and founder of Global Citizen, um, mm -hmm. and uh, you know he's obviously part of his, their mission. That Global Citizen is to end homelessness and and what have you, and and uh, you know their and their mission is obviously partnering with with, with incredible organizations and people, celebrities all over the world as well, and it's mostly done through music, as I'm sure you're aware at Global Citizen. But um, you know, you've partnered with some interesting people. You know, I, I know I saw you partnered with Kevin Bacon um, and what have you, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, you know, what what is the the idea behind partnering with sort of celebrities and and these sort of groups, and and how does that message trans translate? Yeah, I mean, you know, with uh, I'm launching a video series uh, called Spotlight where I'm gonna be shining the spotlight on some of the best solutions in the United States that are being created to help some of these big problems. And I'm partnering with celebrities in different cities to highlight nonprofits and solutions in their city. And what I'm going to display and show is that um, these influencers, whether it's an actor, a musician, a chef, um, an activist, it doesn't matter we're going to invite them into this nonprofit that they're passionate about helping or we're helping them identify and tell the story of that solution and that nonprofit. They just happen to be a part of the video. It's not about them. And I think that a lot of celebrities, they love that. They're like, I'm not hitting them up going, hey, can I interview you? I'm saying, hey, do you want to be the one who also interviews this nonprofit with me? You know, this is not about us at the end of the day. It's about highlighting solutions in our local communities. And so what, um, you know, what we did with Kevin in New York was uh, there's an organization called City Relief that's doing amazing work in uh, Manhattan. And um, they're a mobile homeless service that goes around to different parts of the city. And they set up every week at the same location and they pass out resources and get people on the streets connected with additional resources that they need. And they build relationships with these people. And uh, Kevin um, came down and, and served soup, passed out blankets, um, got to meet people, got to learn more about city relief. And, uh, you know, and, and on the video that we'll be releasing here a little bit down the road as part of our spotlight series is Kevin talking about why he loves New York City why he believes it's important to make a difference on a local level. And that's what I want to showcase to this large audience that will be kind of watching in and listening in is that it doesn't matter what status you are, how much resources you have. 
is that we have to make a difference on a local level. That's the whole narrative of what I'm trying to promote. And I believe a lot of celebrities and not just celebrities, but just anybody in general, our tagline as a foundation is the future of giving is local. That is the future of our conversations. Five years from now, we are going to talk about what is being done on a local level. And I don't think I'm pioneering that. I'm just predicting that that's where these conversations are going to go. Amazing. Well, here, here. Good for you. Really, I mean, amazing work. I, I just, it's funny because you started this whole conversation with, I, you know, I'm not a businessman or, I, you know, I didn't, I, you know, this is, I didn't know how I'm sort of doing business or I, I'm, I've got a company, but you sound like someone who's really got their head screwed on very, very well. You're incredibly focused. You're running a really successful business. You've got plans. You've got absolute, like you seem to me to, to be right where you should be, actually. And, um, it's no surprise. I appreciate that, but I am no Kevin Bacon, and uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I might be just be a good actor. Well, is that, what does that mean to Kevin? If you're no Kevin Bacon, yet you're a I'm good not, actor. No, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm no not. Kevin Bacon, I'm going to leave that one right where it is, Bob. You said it. Sorry, Kevin. <laughs> no, I'm you're clearly not. a comedian as well. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, what I meant is, you know, I, maybe I'm, I'm just a good actor. I, I, I truly feel like I'm a low scale business person is what I meant. Um, <laughs> is, uh, you know, I, I'm here to catch you out on all these things. And, uh, you know, that's, we like to have a bit of a laugh on oh, the Shake It Express show. We no, can't be good, man. And yeah, heavy. No, it no, makes complete it. sense. If you, do you know something? I'm glad you ended up. I'm glad you kind of focused, kind of came onto the foundation, which is clearly you, you, what, what your, you, which is clearly where your kind of heart is, really. I suppose you know, like you, you know, your next, your next, you know, do, do you make a difference? This, this has the potential to make a massive difference. I mean, it, it, it really has the potential to. To go like like to go and and to travel as well. You're not just talking about New York. You're not talking about you know cities in America. You, literally, the problem I have here, you know, with trying to or, you know trying to volunteer and I can't. If 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 you if the business model if if it travels, it comes over and it comes across. It really has the potential to go into every little town and city. It it, it ever. I mean, it, you know, it it, it 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 can kind of travel. I mean, it can go everywhere. You know. It, it's not about global citizen, bunch of pop stars on the stage, although they, you know, doing great works. This is actually something that this is a kind of this is a, this is like a business. You're saying you're not a businessman, but this is a kind of you're, what you're promoting is a business model that is has potential to really work everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I I think that there's a time and place for the one day events. You know, we just had one day LA out here. Bieber performed, and you know, a bunch of you know, it had a lot of hype. I, I'm a supporter of that because I do believe that that breeds inspiration and, you know, gets people thinking in a positive way, which we desperately need right now. But what we absolutely need most of all is socially sustainable models, which is something that is going to last. It's not about the hype. It's not about the big events. It's not about, you know, it's about people taking responsibility for their communities. And I really, really, really believe that. Like, that's what's going to actually change these problems, not put a Band-Aid on these problems. And, you know, 
much respect to national nonprofits and international work, and we need all that. And as the United States, out of any country in the world, we should be stepping up and supporting international work. But if we are not stepping up and taking care of our own local communities, that's what I have a problem with. There you have it, people. Um, Bob, before we let you go, you've been very generous with your time. We have something on the Shaken and Stirred show, which is a bit of fun and games, uh, and it's called Last Orders, where we just get to learn a little bit more about Bob Dalton, and uh, and, and you know, and ha- the man behind the the the, the mystery. Um, it's very simple. We're going to start off with a very quick and easy question to kind of roll us in here. But um, do you have a favorite band? Mm. Uh, I would say right now, man, I'm just, uh, I love, um, oh man, as far as band, I would say I love the band Camino. Camino? The, it's actually called The Band Camino. The Band Camino. Okay, there you go. They, it's, it's called, the. I mean, which band do you like? The, like The Band Camino, and it's the called band The Band Camino. Camino. Fantastic. Perfect name. And is there a song of theirs that you love? Oh, man. I think the song is called I Spent Too Much Time in My Room. (laughs) (laughs) We can all relate to that. (laughs) If you could be, if you had to name any kitchen utensil that most mimics who you are, what would it be? What kitchen utensil would you be? I would say uh, the pizza cutter. <laughs> I'm just slicing through shit right now. You just, 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 I'm, I'm slicing through it, and I'm, uh, but it's in an orderly way. I like that. We've not had a pizza cutter before. There you go. Some, some odd reason. That's the first time we've had a pizza cutter. Anyone's never mentioned that. I love that. In the movie of your life, who would you have play you, other than Kevin Bacon? Because clearly you're a better actor. Oh man, this is such. These are good questions, man. And I honestly was not prepared for these. And I would say, right off the top of my head, I would say. Always say uh, yourself. No, I mean, do they got to be alive? Nope. Anthony Bourdain. Anthony Bourdain. There you go. Hmm. You know, I love it. He'll play an older you. Bob, but I, but I, it's fine. He he would play an older me, but there's no, there's not a spirit that I connect with more than Anthony Bourdain. Amazing, he's an extraordinary person. Uh, yeah, absolutely, I agree with you on that. So, what gets your goat, and what floats your boat? Uh, I don't even know what that means. Do I just answer? So what gets your goat means what upsets you and pisses you off and what floats your boat is what do you love? Mm. Oh man, what pisses me off more than anything is uh, people blaming, uh, this is more my, my serious answer, people blaming other people and blaming um, institutions and systems for the problems that we have going on in society. There's nothing more that makes me upset than blame because it just, you know what I mean? It just is a distraction from the real work. There's so much complaining and bitching going on right now. Um, 
what fires me up is that the second thing yeah what floats your boat what fires you up bob what fires me up is uh the creative projects that i get to be a part of man and and uh being feeling like i get to be a part of i i feel truly like a participant in uh the next wave the next uh the next large conversation that we need to have as a society that fires me up i get excited about um being in the game still having these conversations debating people figuring things out the creative process of, of it all as we all are extremely um unintelligent when it comes to figuring out these massive complex problems i love to think of myself as a uh, a small small participant and i i love every minute of it final question shaken or stirred Oh man. I would have to say stirred, man. There's nothing better than stirring up stirring up some uh something that uh Yeah, I actually no, I'm changing my mind. I love shaking things up. I love shaking things up. <laughs> <laughs> something my something tells me that you might be both shaken and stirred yeah, just like this I'm 50 50 man i'm 50 50 i, I hey. love the name i love the name i had a feeling you said because when i said shaken all stirred as soon as it came out i was like why does it always have to be all why can't it be shaken and or and all it can it can but it's you have you know what again bob you're the very first person in yeah. 75 interviews to not say they're one or the other and then to change that. So there you go. <laughs> uh, man, I, I, I feel both. I feel both. You're both. Um, man, well, I, I really, really, really genuinely uh, thank you for having me on, man. It's a pleasure to meet the both of you and uh, spend time with you guys. Everybody, you, um, Bob, don't. Can I just say, Bob, if you're ever doing anything, if, if you're if the, with your foundation, if you ever start coming over and you want to, you know, you start doing literally doing um, country hopping, and I can help in any way, shape, or form here in England with the foundation, with the concept, because it's something literally that, that, I, that I've been, that I've been, you know, I've been actually hand tied by. Um, you know, not being able to kind of link in and 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 help, and it's been something I'm thinking about. So I'm completely, you know, if you if you want to help over here in the UK, please use my details. You get my details of 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 Embassy Row or Nigel, whatever. Uh, but please contact me, and if I can be of any help, and I can try and hook you up with any with anyone over here to get the ball rolling, and like literally, please, I really mean that. And I've never, by the way, the first time in seventy five episodes, I have never ever invited anybody I've ever done a podcast with to contact me. I mean, I might have said come and stay occasionally. Yeah, slightly sort of mm. realised that I was pissed afterwards. But um, on this one, I'm completely sober. And I promise you, uh, you need any help in the UK. Let, you need any help, you get, get in touch. Please do get in touch. Like, if I can help, I will. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. And thank you for uh, sharing your experience with that. I appreciate that. And it's very confirming to the journey that, you know, of what I'm doing and what I'm building. Sounds amazing. Everybody, Bob Dalton, Sackcloth and Ashes. Bob, how can people get involved with Sackcloth, Sackcloth and Ashes? I mean, uh, you know, our website, sackcloth and ashes.com. 
you know, I'm not, I'm really, truly, uh, you know, you can follow the brand on Instagram, Sackcloth X Ashes, but, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not trying to sell product. I really, I, I really am not trying to do any sort of sales pitches or anything like that. But if you want to follow the brand, Sackcloth X Ashes on Instagram, if you want to fo- follow kind of the behind the scenes, you can add me on LinkedIn. Um, and, uh, you know, it's going to be and a bullshit journey. to all of that. Go and buy a blanket and make a difference, everybody out there. I'm going to give a sales pitch on behalf of Sackcloth and Ashes, as I did at the very beginning. I have two blankets now, which means we've donated two blankets. Guys, everyone out there, if you're thinking of a gift, if you're thinking of a corporate gift, if you've got a friend, if you're going to spend the weekend with a friend and you want a gift for you know the host, hostess gift, this is the gift. It isn't just giving back, which will make everyone feel great. It's absolutely a beautiful blanket. And you've got great designs. Check them out before you judge. Don't just think, oh, this is some kind of you know charity thing. It's not. This is a serious business. The blankets are beautiful. They're comfortable. My own family are swaddled in them. All right. So there you are. You have my endorsement. Go out and get something worthwhile and give back. So when you give, you can, when you buy, you're guilt-free. How about that? Guilt-free giving, buying. Nothing better than that, people. All the best. Bob Dalton, you rock. We love you. Amen. Cheers, my friend. Um, everybody, nice this is Shaken and Stirred. Follow us on Shaken and Stirred and look out for the, this, all our great episodes coming up. Thanks so much, Bob. Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken and Stirred. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya. See ya.